BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and miniskirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. Let's maybe not give the baby a pacifier in the hospital Mm. right when they're born or within the first few hours of life. I understand that, but Mm. I think we really just need to lean into our intuition as mothers and say, I think we can do this. You know, Mm -hmm. the baby's very upset. A pacifier is going to soothe them and I feel okay doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to do irreversible damage if you give your baby a pacifier on day two of life. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm not an alarmist uh, Mm -hmm. like that. So the timing of when you stop, I think, is infinitely more important of the timing of when you start. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Welcome to She. Hey, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you for being here. I am so looking forward to jumping into this topic with you. It's something I've personally had to explore in various different ways as I've become a mom in the last year. So uh, lots of interesting stuff to talk about in terms of oral function and all the things. But I'd love if you can first, as we dive in, can you just share a little about who you are and what led you to become a functional dentist? Absolutely. Well, I'm Dr. Molly, and I became a dentist 10 years ago with no intention of ever going down a route like this. I just wanted to be a dentist because I wanted to help people be healthier. But I discovered really quickly in my career as a dentist that it just really wasn't for me. I did not like drilling on teeth. I did not like putting people in discomfort. I just, I hated all of it. And so I had this intention that one day I was going to find something else, something that spoke to my heart. And, you know, you kind of touched on that. You've been, you've been personally touched by functional oral health. Well, it was my son's health issues that led me to do my own research into oral dysfunction that led me here today. 
so interesting. I feel like sometimes it's the things that we like struggle with that lead us to then do the things that we do. You know, it's just like, oh, you absolutely. know, you're in the right lane when you're aligned in that way. So I awesome. was just speaking to another mom about that, a lactation consultant who mm-hmm. became a lactation consultant because of her nursing issues. And wow. she said it so well. She said we had to be our, our own resource. We had to come up with our own answers. And yeah. so you're absolutely right. It's so true. It's so true. Okay. So for those who haven't heard the term functional dentistry, can you just explain some of the differences you know, between traditional dentistry and functional dentistry? Absolutely. You know, I don't think that functional dentistry is the exact opposite of traditional dentistry. I think it just fills in the gaps where traditional dentistry is lacking, much like traditional medicine. So we talk a lot more about nutrition. Nutrition is so important to functional health and functional dentistry and how we nourish our teeth, nourish our oral microbiome, as opposed to just avoiding the bad things. Functional dentistry places a lot of emphasis on the airway and sleep health and oral function and dysfunction. And we do a lot of the same things that traditional dentists do. We still have to fix cavities. We still fix broken teeth, but we are focusing more on prevention through the nutrition, through breathing well and sleeping well. So a lot more focus on how do we prevent these problems as opposed to sometimes I felt like in traditional dentistry, I was just constantly triaging and constantly putting a bandaid on things that maybe we could have talked about how to prevent them. Hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Okay. So one thing I want to ask about is how would you just now with that context, how would you say that pregnancy and breastfeeding can affect mom's oral health and what can moms do to better support their oral health? Yeah. um, And I found this out too, that your hormones just being all out of whack sometimes in pregnancy and just, you know, it's, it's a big change for a woman and your mouth feels that too, mostly your gums. I experienced pregnancy gingivitis myself. Your gums are going to overreact to any plaque that's on your teeth. So that's mm-hmm. when women will develop pregnancy gingivitis and that can develop into bone loss in your mouth, which leads to wiggly teeth and teeth shifting. So a lot of women will notice when they're pregnant or breastfeeding that their gums are on fire and bleeding. And that can actually lead to a lot of problems when you're pregnant for the developing baby. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we take very seriously. And we encourage moms to come in more frequently for their cleanings when they're pregnant. For sure. Um, And also, yeah, and prioritizing nutrition. I'm going to probably say that a dozen times during this chat. Um, Just it's so hard when you're pregnant. And I don't know if you ever felt like this, Jordan, but when I was pregnant, all I wanted to do was eat bread probably wasn't prioritizing nutrition at all times. And your your teeth and your gums will feel that. So Mm -hmm. I see a lot of postpartum moms come in for that first checkup after they have their baby. see a lot of cavities. We see gum disease. And so I'm trying to educate moms more on get ahead of it before you're pregnant, prioritize nutrition, get a game plan, see the dentist before you conceive if you can. And then while you're pregnant, try to see the dentist every three to four months for cleanings Mm -hmm. as opposed to the recommended every six months. Prevention, prevention, prevention. That's good to know. Okay, cool. Okay. So just the reason I wanted to ask that personally is because you mentioned that functional dentistry is a lot about the prevention side. So I was like, well, we should probably talk about this before we get into all the kids stuff. Oh, it's so (laughs) So, important. It's so important. (laughs) Yeah. So good. Okay. So one thing that I've heard a lot about now being a new mom and, you know, hearing all the recommendations and all of that, I'm hearing more and more that dentists are discouraging the use of sippy cups in children. And I'm curious as to why that is. And what would you say is a better alternative to offer our kids? 
Yes. So if anyone's been on my Instagram lately, you know, I have it out for sippy cup because it discourages proper tongue posture and we can create some really bad habits in these babies and toddlers by giving them a spouted sippy cup. So that's out, that sticking up out of the cup is important. And even some of those 360 cups, I would classify as a sippy cup. We're pushing the tongue down into the floor of the mouth. And that is a really bad habit that we can create for these kids because the tongue goes to, it, it belongs on the roof of the mouth. That is the tongue's natural resting posture when our mouth is closed and when we're sleeping. If the tongue is at the roof of the mouth, we're breathing through our nose. If the mm-hmm. tongue is sitting down on the floor of our mouth, we're going to start mouth breathing, which I'm sure we'll get into. It's very, very unhealthy. Um, and that's what those sippy cups do. So I'm trying to encourage moms and dads to start off with an open cup. Don't start off with a sippy cup. And it can be inconvenient and mess for sure. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy makes a really great little one ounce cup with a weighted bottom to start off with. And it's my absolute favorite cup for six month olds when they're starting off. Easy peasy. I'm like, Easy peasy. Like, okay. <laughs> it's my favorite. Okay, it's my cool. favorite cup. We have about a half a dozen of them dozen of them in my own home, just in case we lose one. And straws are okay too. I would start off with an open cup. And once your, your baby or toddler has that mastered, you can move on to a straw cup. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about the mouth breathing. I was going to ask about this later, but since you touched on, I think it's perfect time to jump in. So I know you talk quite a bit about this. How does mouth breathing affect, affect mouth breathing, breathing, (laughs) how does mouth breathing um, affect our health and why do you think addressing it should be a priority? Like what should we do if our children are struggling with this? Okay. So mouth breathing is the breath of fight or flight. It is going to stimulate the sympathetic nervous system to panic and think that we're going into survival mode. So it's going to affect everything from your, you know, your sleep to your digestion. So we're not meant to breathe through our mouth. Our mouths are for eating and smiling and talking. Our noses are for breathing. That's mm. how I explain it to my littlest patients. Nasal breathing is the breath of rest and digest. So our nose can warm and filter the air that we breathe and our mouth cannot do that. Wait, so it can warm it, and filter? Yes. What? So our no- <laughs> yes. Just like, wait, the nose <laughs> is amazing. The nose okay. is amazing and the mouth cannot do that. Yeah, the nose is just like such an underrated organ. And I I feel like we all just need to read more about the amazing ability of the nose. I highly recommend the book Breath if you haven't, if you haven't read it yet. But yeah, the nose is really amazing. And and when we breathe through our nose, we bring in the best oxygen and we need the oxygen for all the things in our body, you know, brain function, just keeping all the cells in our body alive and well. So mouth breathing is the more, the more I see it, Jordan, the more I like study it, the more I see it in patients, the more I'm convinced that mouth breathing is quite possibly the worst thing that you could do for your health. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. Super interesting. Never heard that. I mean, I've heard it's not good for you, but I've never heard like the details. So that's fascinating to me. It is really fascinating. And you go down this rabbit hole and it just keeps going and going. Yeah. Wow. If you see, if you notice your child mouth breathing, you should bring them to somebody who can help. And it really depends on the child's age. You know, how we're going to treat the child depends on their age. Typically around the age of four or five, a child can start working with a myofunctional therapist mm-hmm. and their specialty focuses on 
oral posture, tongue posture, oral function in general. They'll help you swallow, speak, um, chew, and sleep better. So in in younger younger babies and toddlers, we can still do an oral evaluation and and evaluate for oral function if they're mouth breathing. We typically would see like a feeding therapist or an occupational therapist and they can't participate in the myofunctional therapy. And of course, airway dentists and functional dentists, but you can't always access one of those easily. Hmm. Good to know. Okay. That's fascinating. Okay. Actually, there's another question I want to ask. I want to know if you can share, what are some common signs since we're talking about breathing of sleep disordered breathing? What does that mean? And what are some common signs of it? Sleep disordered breathing means that we are not getting enough oxygen while we sleep. Okay. So Mm -hmm. there's sleep apnea, which is very severe. That means that you're, you're not breathing at all. You stop breathing while you sleep, but the more common disorder is sleep disordered breathing, which means that your oxygen is reduced. So mouth breathing will cause sleep disordered breathing because like we touched on before, we're not getting the the most quality oxygen when we breathe through our mouth. So our O2 saturation actually dips and this can cause a hundred different symptoms in any given patient. So snoring and teeth grinding, those are some more severe um, symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, in children that are about like five and older, bedwetting is a symptom of sleep disordered breathing. Yeah, tossing and turning, nightmares, night terrors, sleepwalking and talking, really restless sleep, like kids who wake up and their head is at the end of the bed and their sheets are all twisted and and just waking up not fully rested. Now in children who can't tell us, like, I didn't get a good night's sleep, this Mm -hmm. could look like behavioral disorders, just feeling kind of groggy or issues in school. There's so many symptoms. So that's why the the process is really important when trying to diagnose a child with sleep disorder breathing is, you know, where are these symptoms coming from? That's interesting. I've like never even explored this but at all. Like I've never, this is really interesting to me. Especially I haven't like, either. Yeah. 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 I mean, no, I don't think many people it. have. It's not like a commonly talked about no. thing. It's really not. And they don't talk about it at all in dental school. And that's a problem. They talk about, you know, sleep apnea, more to, you know, your your weight, your overweight, or just generally unhealthy, but they don't touch on this. And it turns out that about nine out of 10 children manifest at least one symptom of sleep disorder breathing in their childhood. And that is just astounding to me. So what do you do about that? Like if you come to find like, oh, they have this. Yeah. And the treatment is not one size fits all okay. at all. So we, so I get a child in my chair and we have the the questionnaire um, of all the symptoms. So parents go through this very long questionnaire of, of all the symptoms we just talked about and more. Mm-hmm. And then we do an oral assessment to find out, you know, where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And for some kids, it could be like a tongue tie, like their tongue cannot go to the roof of their mouth. Mm-hmm. And so their brain never gets the message to start nasal breathing and their mouth hangs open all night and causes poor oxygen. Now we have sleep disordered breathing, mm-hmm. but not all kids are tongue tied. Some kids you know, have developed a bad habit of breathing through their mouth because their nose is always stuffy. Mm -hmm. So we have to do a really thorough assessment. And sometimes we need to call in other specialists. It's definitely um, a team approach to correcting this mouth breathing. I work with myologists and I work with airway focused orthodontists every day. Mm -hmm. Um, There's never a moment where I'm like, I can fix this all on my own. No, we are. It's very collaborative. Gotcha. That's interesting. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like that's Absolutely. like a whole new world of things to, to learn about. 
it's um, a new it's a new way of thinking about yeah, it for sure totally well and i think you just kind of think like oh they're breathing out of their mouth like good they're breathing you know <laughs> like you don't really think much else until you know yeah. more about or, or even just the other things you shared you know some of those things can be so easily overlooked so i'm glad that absolutely you that down. okay let's circle back because something else and when i was asking about sippy cups we kind of got onto this mouth breathing thing but i wanted to also ask about pacifiers so let's go back to yeah. that kind of topic because i know there's a lot of debate about the use of pacifiers like when should and when shouldn't we mm-hmm. all that so i'd love if you can share your thoughts on when should or shouldn't pacifiers be used and does it matter what type of pacifier we buy? Yes. I think there's a lot of different opinions. And I also think that maybe all of us who are very opinionated on pacifiers could be right. I'll just share my personal opinion with you. I think pacifiers are wonderful for newborns. I think just to reduce crying and make your infant feel safe and secure by satisfying their suckle reflex, I think that's absolutely fine. You know, I wear my newborn everywhere in my baby wrap because it makes her feel secure. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I offer her a pacifier if that's not working. The thing about pacifiers is just timing. You know, when are we going to start the pacifier? When are we going to take it away? Mm-hmm. And then the the shape of the pacifier. Those are the things that matter the most to me. So we'll touch on the timing first. Most lactation consultants have told me they don't recommend introducing a pacifier until breastfeeding is well established. Mm. And that's different for every baby. It could be two to four weeks, maybe later. I personally have given all of my babies a pacifier probably around day seven to 10 because I just, I needed it. Whether breastfeeding was going really great or not. What you, what, I've always pause real quick and just yeah, absolutely. Um, one question I have is somebody might be listening to this and wondering, what do you mean by established? Like what defines breastfeeding, breastfeeding being established? Cause I feel like that's a helpful guideline for people. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know about you. I always assume when people said that breastfeeding was natural, mm-hmm. that it meant it would just come naturally. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was absolutely not the case, especially with my first two children. Mm-hmm. But then as I got more informed about, you know, how to address oral ties and, and oral function, things got better. But infants don't, they they know they have the suckle reflex, the sucking reflex, but it, it's not always smooth right at first, you know? And so sometimes it can take a few days or maybe even a, a few weeks for a baby to really get that rhythm. So like I said, most lactation consultants will say, wait until it's well-established. And I I'm fuzzy on that because it's like, well, (laughs) we're learning and we're learning and we're getting better and better and better. I'm not going to wait until things are going absolutely perfect, you know, um, until I even felt like even when things improve, there's always, it's kind of like a roller coaster anyway, if they go through a growth spur or they start teething or something else. So it's like, is it ever like perfect for a long period? You know what I mean? Okay. So you nailed it. Yes. You totally nailed it. And that's exactly how I feel. It's Mm -hmm. not like this one day, like, a switch is flipped and it's like, oh, it's perfect. And it's staying perfect. So that's why mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let's maybe not give the baby a pacifier in the hospital mm-hmm. right when they're born or within the first few hours of life. I understand that. But mm-hmm. I think we really just need to lean into our intuition as mothers and say, I think we can do this. You know, mm-hmm. the baby's very upset. A pacifier is going to soothe them. And I feel okay doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to do irreversible damage if you give your baby a pacifier on day two of life. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm not an alarmist uh, like mm-hmm. that. So the timing of when you stop, I think is infinitely more important of the timing of when you start. Mm-hmm. And for me, six months is when you need to think about weaning your baby from a pacifier. Okay. And I know that sounds so early, but the earlier you do it, the easier it's going to be. 
So if you plan on starting at six months and then let's say it takes you up till, you know, nine to 12 months to get your baby off a pacifier, Mm -hmm. you have just completely won this game and you have avoided so many issues that can come with long-term pacifier use. So you said, let me make sure I understand what you said. So you said start weaning around six months. And then you said, if you can get them completely off by nine to 12 months, that's what, that's the goal. In my book, 12 months, you're, you're good. And a lot of, you know, a lot of other people say you must have them off by six months. And look, I've tried that and it's much easier said than done. So I just say, why don't you just start at six months? Maybe your baby is going to go with the flow mm-hmm. and let go of that pacifier overnight. My children are not like that. Um, they, they, they hung on for a long time. So I was glad that I started early. Mm-hmm. So just plan to start early and, and you'll get you'll get there by that first birthday. Gotcha. So interesting. Okay. One other thing I'm curious about, speaking of pacifiers, I have one kid who loves a pacifier. It's been like mm-hmm. the easiest, it's been like the easiest thing if he's upset or whatever. Other kid, like we'll suck on it for five, <laughs> 10 seconds and spit it out. Like literally spit yeah. it across the room. We're like, why yeah. do you, okay, we're not even going to keep trying then. It's kind of where I'm at. But I'm curious, like, <laughs> what does that mean if they refuse it? It's just they don't care for it. They don't need it. Yeah. Is it just personality? Yeah. Like, what do you think? It's- my per- my personal thoughts after having five children, it's just completely personality. It doesn't mean that they can't hold it in. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't want it. So I would say, you know, I know pacifier is really great when you need it. Your child doesn't want it. Well, now you're going to have, you're going to get to skip that whole weaning mm-hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. that in itself is total win. Yeah. Okay. I was just like, um, <laughs> well, I was just so not used to it. My so younger different. child was like, yeah, I don't want it as much. I'm like, this is so weird. Are you okay? It'd be, it would be great. <laughs> you know, if you wanted it when you just really need it, but yeah. you know what? Now you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. True. Have you been wanting to make the switch to cleaner living and clean beauty, but feeling really overwhelmed on where to start and how to sift through all the different options out there? Friend, I get it. I have been there. When I first started my clean living journey, I was so overwhelmed and I was having such a hard time in one area in particular. I was having a really hard time finding beauty products that were clean, safe, toxin-free, but also really worked because the tricky part was I wanted to use clean products, but every time I would try clean makeup or clean shampoo or clean skincare, it just seemed like they didn't work as well as my old toxic favorites. And I found myself always wanting to go back to the more conventional stuff because it actually worked. My makeup stayed all day. My skincare was working well. So I was having a really hard time in this area until I discovered Crunchy. Crunchy is a high-performing, clean beauty brand that honestly performs just as well, if not better, than my old toxic favorites. Not only that, but they are eco-friendly, they're plastic positive, which means they take more plastic out of the environment than they put in, and they're also Leaping Bunny certified and cruelty-free as well as vegans. So if you've been looking for a clean option for makeup and skincare, for clean beauty, but you just need something that works well and that doesn't harm the environment and that doesn't harm animals... Crunchy is the place to be. I highly recommend starting with the primer and foundation when it comes to makeup or the cleansing bar and the Clarolite when it comes to the skincare. And if you use my link, you can get $10 off your first order. So just go to crunchy.com slash Jordan Dooley and the $10 off will apply on the last page of checkout to your first order. Or you can just tap the link in the show notes on this episode to shop with that link and get the $10 off applied to your first order. 
Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients. And it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. Okay, what tips do you have for the weaning process of this? Because you said weaning off pacifiers, but there's not like, I don't know of a guidebook that's like, here's how you can do this. And I feel like everyone has different methods they've tried. So and some people just yeah. try to like take it cold turkey when kids are two years old. So I'm curious, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? And do you have any tips uh, for those who are considering trying to help their child wean off the pacifier? Oh, absolutely. So it's going to it's gonna go a little bit differently depending on how old your child is. So like I said, it is easier to wean a six-month-old off of a pacifier than, than a toddler, you know, toddlers are just, uh, resistant to just about any kind of change. So, you know, with a, a baby, you know, maybe six to 12 months and you're starting to wean, I would take up way during the daytime and I would have it be like a nighttime thing or a, a going to sleep thing only, okay. and then just kind of slowly start to back off of it, you know, any older than one, and you're going to get some resistance. So my biggest piece of advice is just consistency. Mm-hmm. I will have parents that come to me after like a couple, like a couple weeks after our appointment where we talk about weaning, we make a plan mm-hmm. and then they come back in like a couple weeks. They're like, it's not working. I'm like, well, it's not, it's, it's, we're still, we're in progress. You know, mm-hmm. it takes a while and you have to be consistent. And if you're consistent and you don't give in and you don't change the plan, we're eventually going to get that toddler off the pacifier. So you mentioned cold turkey. That is, it's tough, but it's probably the quickest way to go mm-hmm. if you have um, an older child. And here's the thing, there's just a lot of urgency for me if I see a two to three-year-old with a pacifier. That child most definitely has now changes to their bite. The way that their teeth come together is going to change if they still have a pacifier. Even like at 18 months, I will see the teeth will kind of flare. Mm-hmm. They're actually shaping around the nipple of that pacifier. So. We don't want that. That's going to cause mouth breathing. That's going to lead to um, the need for orthodontics early. Mm-hmm. So we really want to dish that pacifier so that we we don't deal with all these airway issues. Yeah. So cold turkey is is the way to go if you've got a two to three year old. I'll be honest. Gotcha. You, you just want to get it done, and you can you can do a lot of things like rewards and positive reinforcement distraction. You know, it's not like you just take the pacifier away and like, you know, help your child through that. Mm -hmm. But there are ways to support them just through like, you know, like I said, prizes and distractions and like, you're such a big boy or girl, Mm -hmm. like you didn't need that anymore. Mm -hmm. So that, that's probably my preferred method. But again, parents that don't want to do that, you're going to want to take it away during the daytime. And then that pacifier should live in the bed or the crib. And we tell the child, this is where the pacifier lives and it doesn't leave this home. Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of slowly back off of it 
And then once the daytime use is eliminated, then we can move on to eliminating nighttime use. Gotcha. Okay. Super helpful. I'm over here like taking notes. Okay. (laughs) I'm like selfishly, (laughs) this is for me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So another, another topic I feel like that's big in kind of the oral health, parenting, child, all the things, top category of life is the issue or the conversation around tongue and lip ties. And Mm -hmm. I recently walked through and have been kind of navigating this in different ways. So I'd be curious, you know, I know a lot of moms are overwhelmed trying to navigate these Mm -hmm. kind of issues. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Like, how can we identify if a baby is struggling with this? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So the first thing that you want to pay attention to with breastfeeding is symptoms for both mom and baby. And that's really where it starts. So symptoms for mom that there there might be some oral restrictions. If you're having any kind of pain with breastfeeding, if your nipples are like bleeding or kind of bent out of shape after a nursing session, if you're getting mastitis because you're not fully emptying your breast, things like that. And then you have to pay attention to baby symptoms. You know, is baby like gagging and choking during nursing? Um, are they clicking? There's actually like a clicking noise that can be made by tongue or lip tied babies. They tend to kind of slide or pop off the breast. They don't just, you know, stay there for the full nursing session. They'll, they'll kind of like suck, suck, swallow, and then they'll pop off the breast and then try to get back on again. Mm-hmm. If baby is just overly fussy at the breast or gassy, you know, colic. I, there's a lot of times I wonder if colic just an oral restriction issue. Mm-hmm. Baby's just really unsettled. So paying attention to mom and baby symptoms is the first thing to do. And then just to seek the help of a lactation consultant that can, and maybe I should add a tongue tie savvy lactation mm-hmm. consultant because they're not all that way. Mm-hmm. And I have plenty of referrals if we need them to, to seek the help of a tongue tie savvy lactation consultant who can help us say, okay, are these maybe some just positioning issues or some tension issues that can be worked out? Mm -hmm. Or do we need to move on to the next step to consider if this is a true oral restriction or Mm -hmm. tongue tie? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, body work is the next thing. Seeing a chiropractor or someone who can do craniosacral therapy. These babies come out tense, you know, Mm -hmm. they're all tight. They're all tight in there. Mm -hmm. And birth is very very hard on a baby. So it's not always, feeding issues are not always related to a tongue tie. Mm-hmm. Um, these tension issues can look a lot like a, an oral restriction. Mm-hmm. So then that, I would say that's your next step is to seek the help of somebody who can provide body work. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these chiropractors and body workers, again, they're very skilled. They'll put on a glove and look under the baby's tongue or lip and say, okay, I think we have an oral restriction. Sometimes we can work through this with body work without having to do what's called a tongue tie release, mm-hmm. which is the, the actual removal of that, that little cord under the tongue mm-hmm. with either a laser or scissors or a scalpel. Mm-hmm. It's a process and I would just really encourage mothers to kind of go slow. Mm-hmm. It's very rarely an emergency. Um, usually we see baby making plenty of wet diapers. We see baby gaining weight. Because babies will figure out how to remove that milk from the breast. Yeah. We want baby and mom comfortable though. So, you know, getting help as soon as you can, but also just kind of slowing down and just mm-hmm. going through the steps. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see a lactation consultant. I'm going to see a body worker. And then if things don't resolve, mm-hmm. we're going to seek the, the help of a release provider. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I think that's really sound advice. I feel like when I first started, I don't, I've shared about this a little bit on social media, but when I was with my 
second child, he, see, you know, I was very like kind of torn at the beginning because I felt like, mm-hmm. oh, he's kind of often on the breast. Like he had some of the symptoms of like that, mm-hmm. of, but he was also tense. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like everything I was hearing was you got to get his tongue cut. You got to get, get his tongue yeah. cut. And I was like, wait, that seems like a lot to do to a little baby. So I felt like, yes. just slow down for a sec. Like I wasn't, I think, I, I think it was helpful that I wasn't having pain because maybe if I was, yes. I'd have felt a little bit more like, hurry up, we got to fix this. But Right. It was more just frustrating. And I think he was frustrated. Uh-huh. But anyway, it was a similar, I kind of followed that process and I had okay. gotten, it was really fascinating because I had gotten a referral. And I'm curious, the reason I'm sharing this is because I want to know if you've ever seen this where I yeah. had initially at like two or three weeks old, I saw a lactation consultant. She was like, yeah, he definitely has a lot of tension and oral restriction, like, you know, and put in a, okay. and she put in a, um, what's it called? Referral to a pediatric dentist. That's like the preferred provider locally for yeah. releases. And he's so booked out that it was like several weeks until we could even get in. So in the meantime, I started doing myofascial, you know, craniosacral release yes. for him uh, or therapy for him and saw a pretty big improvement. And there was like a four or five week period between when the referral was made and when we could actually get in. And in that time, it was pretty significant, his improvement of symptoms. He'd still have little ups and downs, but in terms of just yeah. the big picture, I was like, wow, this is really changing some things. And so I ended up finally taking him into the pediatric dentist and he did an evaluation of him, you know, evaluated the function, his lip, his tongue, mm-hmm. all that. And he was like, it's mild. He's got a little bit, but it's not like severe restriction by any means. If, if you don't feel like you're having a really difficult time, maybe hold off an extra month or two and we can reevaluate around three or four months. And so that was really fascinating for me because I was like, the the evaluation almost like changed after doing some yeah. of that body work. And so I kind of just Isn't like took amazing? a little bit more of a conservative approach. But I think that that's also really interesting too, because I think I don't think there's like a right or wrong way, but it was just interesting to see like, oh, I kind of had to wait just by the way that things worked yeah. out. And in some ways, it, it forced me to slow down before I just like jumped into making a big move. And yep. then he didn't really necessarily end up needing it the same. So I'm curious if you've ever seen that happen. I have. Okay. Yeah. Moms who come in and they they are just like, sure. And they're like, I'm in so much pain. Mm-hmm. We've done the body work. Mm-hmm. We've seen the lactation consultants this needs, this needs to be better like today. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we'll, we'll offer to do the oral evaluation. Yep. If they've gone through the body work, they've, they've seen the right people and mom is just miserable. Mm-hmm. We'll go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. But if mom is like, I'm willing to wait, I can wait. I will encourage her to wait and, and do, and go through those steps. Mm-hmm. But I have seen that. And it is just, it's amazing. And it just, it really speaks to the power of body work. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who who don't believe it until they see it. it yeah, it and, makes sense though, because if you think yeah. about it, like all that is, like the the ties in the in the lip and in the tongue, that's front um, it's tissue. And when it, tissue in the midline yes. is tight throughout the whole body, it's going to be reflected in the mouth. So if you release it through the body, it's kind of like a I don't know if you see it this way, but my the way it was explained to me is like, is it the chicken or the, the chicken or the egg came first, right? Like <laughs> yes. is it the tension throughout the body that's then therefore causing the oral restriction? Yes. Or is it the oral restriction and, and the tight frenum that's then causing body tension? And I'm sure maybe it varies per child. I I don't know, but like mm-hmm. kind of addressing one of the other, like I know some people say, oh, I got the tongue tie release done and then the rest of the tension went away. And then others say, mm-hmm. I, you know, worked on releasing the body tension and then it improved the oral function. So it's kind of interesting how yeah. they kind of are so connected, but it makes so much sense why they are. I know it. And I don't know if you've ever seen, there's this really cool picture. I should send it to you. Um, so the, the tissue under the tongue, it's called fascia and we have fascia all through our body. And there's this really cool picture of the fascia under the tongue mm-hmm. and it runs all the way down to the tip of your, your toes. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
it, there's no break in it. It's mm-hmm. all connected. So people who have, you know, the oral restriction with their tongue, you know, adults who have like a tongue that was never diagnosed mm-hmm. and they have issues with like, their pelvic floor mm-hmm. um, or they have issues like running or just like with physical or neck pain mm-hmm. and they their tongue tie released and it all just like goes away. Mm-hmm. That, that to me is just like, I, I can't write my around it. It's so cool. Yeah, it is wild. Well, and it's also kind of interesting too, because at the same time, there's a lot of people who will not do the body work and just get the tongue tie cut. And then they're like, why hasn't mm-hmm. it helped? Why didn't it make a difference? Like, it, right. it, it's like they are so hand in hand. And sometimes, you know, one or the other makes a big difference, but sometimes mm-hmm. you really do need both or one. Yeah. So anyway, it's been an interesting thing to dig into, but I'm thankful that you shared on that and the way that you shared it. Cause I think it can be so overwhelming to make a decision like that. And it's not an easy thing because there's a recovery, you know, there's, there's, I know. And it's so different for every child and you really have to go through that process because, you know, our, our providers are providing individualized care. Whereas if you hop on social media, I mean, every Mm -hmm. time I hop on social media, I will see a tongue tie post just Mm -hmm. because of the people that I follow. Mm -hmm. We'll see a tongue tie post every day. And, you know, and I think people are giving really good information, but it's easy it's easy to kind of self-diagnose mm-hmm. from these posts and you really just you kind of just got to go through the process. You have mm-hmm. to find the provider you connect with and, and it, who's willing to personalize care because these cases are just as unique as mm-hmm. our fingerprints. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Okay. So you talk a lot about the benefits kind of speaking into the body work stuff. Let's kind of move into that. You talk a lot about the benefits of the oral fascial myology. Can, for those who like don't know that term and aren't familiar with it, can you explain what that is and how it can help oral health? Yeah. So oral myologists or myofunctional therapists, you can use that name interchangeably. They are like the physical therapists for the neck up. So they are improving muscle tone and function of the tongue and the lips and the cheeks. They're trying to improve swallow, speech, speaking, sleep. They're improving oral function as a whole. And it is the most customized, personalized care you could ever get. The the myologists that I've worked with, they will spend like an hour and a half just making your tongue go into like different positions and, and testing your tongue and your, your chewing. Um, it's really cool because our oral function affects the rest of our body. So I think everybody, every patient I've met truly benefit from myology. Everybody could benefit from it. Yeah. Some people just desperately need it more than others. But if, if you are, if you are an adult having any kind of like sleep issues whether it's snoring or waking up in the middle of the night or poor sleep, I actually recommend seeing an oral myologist before you go get a sleep study. Because a lot of these sleep studies that I've been seeing, they're not really that helpful. They're not even that diagnostic. It's like, oh, you have severe sleep apnea, you need to get on a CPAP for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Or you have mild to moderate. And then it's and then those patients, like they don't, they're not even really given any kind of like further instruction on what to do. So mm-hmm. I would say if you're having sleep issues, go see a myologist because they can evaluate what's happening with your tongue. If, if you have a tongue with low tone, mm-hmm. it's probably dropping to the floor of your mouth while you're sleeping and you're probably mouth breathing at night and you might not know it. Mm-hmm. You know, snoring isn't even the worst thing you can do in your sleep. Mm-hmm. Mouth breathing is just as bad. So oral myologists, they just do so much. And I really think everybody could benefit from an evaluation. Yeah, that's fascinating. I've not heard that specific term, but that it, I just literally, it's okay. So just for you guys to know, if you're listening, I looked up orofascial myologists near me and a website came up, International Association of Orofascial Myology. Hmm. Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. Is it legit? Oh, yeah. Okay. It is. Like, oh, there's um, this whole list. I had no idea these people even existed <laughs> and they're like within a couple miles of me. So I'm like, oh, yes. that's cool. So. I, I don't know if it's 
maybe it's becoming more popular just as we are, I, I feel like, you know, sleeping, breathing issues have really come into the spotlight in the last mm-hmm. um, few years, or maybe I'm just now paying attention. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of dental hygienists will, will go on to become oral facial biologists because they're kind of used to working in the mouth. But mm-hmm. there, there should be somebody near you and you should be able to access them. You know, they, they do do virtual. Like if you live in a rural area, mm-hmm. there are some providers that will do virtual assessments. I think it's always best to do in person. I really do. But um, so, yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth exploring. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So another thing I wanted to ask about, sorry, I'm kind of just jumping around because there's like a million Please questions do. I have, but um, <laughs> I want to talk about the connection between the mind or the mouth and the gut. Can you share a little bit about that? Because I know a lot of us have heard the, the connection between the mind and the gut, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about the mouth-gut connection. Why is that important? And what? let's just dig into that. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people forget that your mouth is actually the beginning of your digestive tract. Your digestion begins in your mouth, begins with chewing. Mm-hmm. Chewing is the very first step of digestion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, patients who don't chew well, so this goes back to oral function and dysfunction. If you're not chewing well, if you're not breaking down your food well, you could you could actually cause yourself to have some gut issues mm-hmm. um, because you're not properly digesting your food. Mm-hmm. And then conversely, if you have gut issues, if you have some kind of, you know, like autoimmune, autoimmune disorder, if you have like Crohn's or, or celiacs, you might not be absorbing nutrients mm-hmm. into your gut well, and that will show up in your teeth. Mm-hmm. If you're not absorbing nutrients in your gut, your teeth are not absorbing the, the nutrients that they need to stay strong. Mm-hmm. And our teeth, our teeth need nutrients. They mm-hmm. don't need us to just avoid sugar and acid. They actually need to be nourished. Mm-hmm. We need to have vitamin D and vitamin K2 and calcium put into our teeth constantly. And so if our gut can't absorb that, then our teeth are going to show it. So we tend to see a lot of cavities and people who have gut issues. Interesting. That makes so much sense. Wow. It does it's when like you when think you about it, it well, right? When you put it that simply, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's just not something you really would think about. And then, yeah, it's, it makes a lot it's, of sense. It's a very complicated subject. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I, I love simplifying things. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to just kind of leave it at that with my patients. Yeah. You know, it's it's one big digestive tract. Yeah. Um, the enzymes that start in the mouth, it, it has to be good going both ways. Right. Right. Makes sense. Okay. So last question I want to ask before we wrap up is about fluoride. I'm, I love going to all these debated issues. I hope you're good with that. <laughs> yes. But I know fluoride is, is another debated subject in the field of dentistry and just in general, I feel like in the holistic mm-hmm. world. Can you yeah. share your thoughts on fluoride and why you think it may not be the best option? You know, I think fluoride is one of those things where you just have to weigh the risks versus the benefits. Mm-hmm. Or do the, do the benefits fluoride outweigh the risks that come with it. You know, for me as a mom with small children, I just say no. I have not done the deep dive on fluoride. There are so many biological dentists who have done this deep dive with like the research. Oh my gosh, the research. It's so hard to read. It's so dense. But I've done enough research to know that for me and my kids who I, I try really hard to provide good nutrition 80% of the time, you know, we're, we're eating good meat and we eat eggs every day and we're really limiting like our refined carbohydrates. I would put my kids into a low cavity risk category. So for me, they don't need fluoride because the, the risks of them swallowing that just don't outweigh the benefits for them. Now, 
if there's a child who um, is living like our very modern American lifestyle and we're eating goldfish crackers and drinking a lot of really sugary juices, we're not getting the nutrients. Well, maybe for that child, the, the benefits do outweigh the risk and maybe that child needs fluoride. But that's why we're trying to educate on nutrition, 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 and nasal breathing so that we're not putting so many kids into a high risk cavity category because mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to need fluoride because it just, it doesn't feel good to me. You know, mm-hmm. all the studies that are out there right now, there's fluoride in our water that we have to filter out. Like, it's a lot of fluoride. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, you know, when there are studies out there that prove that nanohydroxyapatite does just as good of a job at preventing cavities from like a topical, you know, exterior perspective mm-hmm. as fluoride, but really your best defense against cavities going to be good nutrition and nasal breathing. And we shouldn't need fluoride. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Okay. I have like a thousand more questions I could ask, but I'll wrap here just to be thoughtful of your time. Thank you for everything you oh, shared. Sure. Though, because I think oh, you're so welcome. Also informative and so important, especially, you know, for parents, hopeful parents, new parents, all of that. For those who are wanting to dive deeper into this topic, where can we learn more from you? Where can we find you? I know I'm going to follow along. Yay. Um, you can follow me at Dr. Molly Hayes and then my website, drmollyhayes.com. I'm trying to update my blog more with more information. Those are the places you can find me right now. Just trying to educate uh, all the parents from home. But yeah, just reach out if there's anything I can do for you. Awesome. Dr. Molly, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you're you welcome. Thank you, Jordan. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content. And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.